Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Mark Moschel graduated from the University of Illinois with a bachelor's in computer engineering, technology, and management. And Mark has turned his background in technology and leadership in combination with his love of the environment, people, and healthy holistic living into an amazing career in wine. Currently functioning as the partner and second in command at Dry Farm Wines, the world's only natural, lab-tested, and health-conscious wine club. Headquartered in Napa, California, I can think of worse places to have your head office, Dry Farm Wines started in 2015 with a minor $10,000 in annual sales, but by 2017, they had reached $12 million in annual revenue and are currently on track to finish out 2018 with revenue of $25 million and 18 employees. They believe their success is due to their cultural manifesto of peace and profit, a short to the point reflection on their goal to live in peace and create profit. Their strong and unique cultural practices include daily meditation, gratitude, team dinners, and calling themselves a family, and has more than shaped their communication operations and management. Mark has also attended one of our COO Alliance events in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, And Mark, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Thank you, Cameron. Very, very excited to be here. Yeah, as am I. And I, um, it's funny talking to somebody who I know that you and Todd, your CEO, are both such big fans of gratitude and meditation. I kind of came onto our call this morning a little bit frantic, running around having moved into a new place um, in Vancouver. But maybe why don't we start off our call with a bit of gratitude? Is there anything you want to share and then I'll do the same? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm grateful to you because I mentioned this when I was at the COO Alliance a couple of weeks ago. But I had never, I'd always kind of been looking for a group like this without realizing that I was looking for this group. Hmm. I have the fortune being with uh, a wine company that we provide wines for, you know, a hundred conferences a year. And so I get to attend a lot of events. Some are health related, some are performance related, but I've never seen an event like this. that was kind of really geared towards what I was doing and what I, the type of support group that I needed. So I'm just grateful to you for putting this together for the wisdom that you share for creating this podcast to to spread the message to to more people who are in this role. So very, very grateful for that. Thank you. You're welcome. It's interesting. Like over the years, I've played both the CEO role and the second in command, the COO role. And as a COO, I didn't feel like I fit in. I would go to these entrepreneurial events and entrepreneurial conferences and I didn't really fit. And then listening to a lot of the podcasts that are out there as well, I always wanted the rest of the story. You You hear the entrepreneur's side and it's not like they're telling, they're not telling the truth. They're totally telling the truth, but they see the success and the growth of their business through one set of filters. And I think as the second in command, and even as the employees, we often see another set of filters. So that's why I wanted to share the, this kind of the stories, the chief behind the chief. Thankful for that. So I'll give you my gratefulness was I woke up this morning and there were dishes scattered around the kitchen and there were some dirty clothes on the floor And I'm grateful for the fact that my kids are with me uh, this week on summer holidays and they've left their stuff around. It's a sign that they're still here, which is awesome. And all the dishes that were scattered in the sink and still scattered around, I'm grateful because I spent about six hours cooking yesterday, making a bunch of different dishes and some short ribs. And I'm grateful for the fact that I had my kids around. And that that was the signal that I saw when I saw the dirt and the the dirty clothes today. (laughs) By the way, I love that because you did this practice at the COO Alliance and you had everybody write down a couple things that they're frustrated by uh, or that were challenging them in life right now. Yeah. And, and then 
after everybody wrote that down and took a minute or two, you asked everyone to kind of reframe them and think about why they were grateful for those things. And it's an incredibly powerful reframe as, as you sit down and think about that. And it's what you just did there talking about the dirty dishes and the toys lying around and how you were grateful for those because you know, you can come at that and see that as frustrating or bothersome. You can harbor, you know, and have those negative emotions, or you can reframe it and say, you're super grateful to have your kids around and you're really grateful for the amazing meal that you had last night. And that's such an important shift in mindset. It's, it's amazing. Thank it's a really you. powerful thing. No, thank you. I, I think it's so easy to say we're grateful for the clean sheets and the good food, but what about like looking for the rest? And so I think even in the business world, you know, I've always said that I love working with entrepreneurial organizations and high growth companies and great culture companies, but they're different. You know, an entrepreneurial organization, they bob and weave, they make it up on the, you know, on the fly. They, um, Big Shiny Object is actually one of the great reasons why entrepreneurial companies grow, but that can often be hard for employees. And it's, I try to always reframe for them as well as to show them it's not like we're making it up in a bad way. It's that we're responding to the environment. You know, we're responding to our customers and our suppliers and the need and, and, and we have to make stuff up as we go because we'd be growing too slowly if we didn't. So yeah. why, don't you, why don't you give us some of your story? Tell us how you, um, how you arrived you know, at Dry Farm, but also where you got some of the experience over the years to be in the second in command role? Well, I think, so kind of working backwards, I met Todd, who's the founder of Dry Farm Wines, because I was working with Bulletproof as the MC for the Bulletproof Conference for the last four years and helping organize the conference. And Todd reached out right after he started Dry Farm Wines, uh, sent a cold email and just asked if we want, wanted biohacked wine at the conference. And at the time, well, A, it seemed like a great idea. Why not? But at the time, I wasn't drinking. I'd given up alcohol because I was trying to follow a bulletproof and, you know, a healthy lifestyle. And to me, that meant alcohol just didn't fit. I would always get the hangovers or get headaches and stomach aches that I just didn't want to deal with. Totally. So I met him there and he offered me a glass of wine. I rejected it. I was grateful that he was there, but didn't, didn't want to drink. And there was a couple of weeks later, you know, we just kind of stayed in touch, had a lot in common. He came out to Chicago. And we went to grab dinner and I tried the wine for the first time. And over the course of the evening, I had an entire bottle of wine to myself. And this is after not drinking for over a year. Huh. And I woke up the next morning, I felt totally fine. I was up at seven, I went to the gym. I had never had that experience. So that's kind of how I fell in love with these wines. I became super curious about why this was so different and wanted to explore more. And my background before this and the, the company I was working full time for was a a startup in Chicago that was doing paleo food. And so I was really interested in healthy food and kind of the story around the whole real food movement. And then suddenly realizing that wine followed the same narrative, but no one was talking about it because there's no transparency in the wine industry. I just became, you know, curious, a friend of Todd's, uh, a customer, and then eventually made the jump to, to join him on this mission. Yeah, I was, I was hugely skeptical. I met, um, I, I'm a member of four different masterminds. So every year I invest in my own growth and will continue to. And one of the, the four events that I've been going to for years is called the Genius Network. And Todd and I met at the annual event at the Genius Network two years ago. And I was very skeptical. You know, yeah. he had a, a booth set up and he said, oh, I'll send you a couple of my bottles of wine. And I'm like, whatever, like it's going to be shit. You know, how could organic and you know, all these, I don't know the, exactly what, what it is your, your wine is based off of. But I'm like, it's not going to be as good as the, the normal stuff in my mind, right? Yeah. So anyway, a case, case of wine shows up on all different types and flavors. And I try a bottle. I'm like, wow, this is 
really, really good actually, <laughs> but the other 11 are terrible. Um, and then the next bottle was, you know, pretty damn good. And then the third one, I'm like, something's going on here that I wasn't even aware at times that I'd opened one of your wines versus a normal wine that I was used to. And um, so I, I just like the taste of it all. I know I didn't do the test on yeah. how I felt the next morning, but I'll put that on my list. Now I'll drink a bottle and see how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the under the table challenge. Drink a bottle and see how you feel. Right. Exactly. Now, if, Dave, if Dave Asprey from Bulletproof Coffee is a fan of your wines, and I'm sure he is, then I'll, I'll um, stay the course. So tell yeah. me, where, where did your experience come from? Where did you get the skill set to be doing what you're doing today? And then also give us a little bit of a helicopter tour as to, um, to know what Dry Farm Wines looks and feels like today as a company. Yeah, sure. I'll start kind of farther back and then work forward uh, to where we are today. But I grew up as a middle child and, uh, you know, was always kind of like a peacekeeper in the family. And so I think that kind of set the foundation as I grew up and I came out of school as a consultant and then got into the startup world. And I realized after a year of trying to be the CEO of a, of a startup, an entrepreneur, that I wasn't very good at making money, but I was really good at like helping other people. And so I, I had jumped over and helped another friend launch a business that um, in a couple of weeks made a million dollars and then went jump from there to help this paleo meal delivery company that was small. I was the first employee and um, was working side by side with the founder. I, I became the CTO and um, he was a very intense, very typical quick start founder, a lot of passion, but very disorganized, tons of ideas, but not the type that would execute well on those ideas and clean that up. Very standard things that you talk about all the time. Yep. And I just realized that, you know, I've now worked, Todd will be the fourth kind of founder that I've worked side by side with. And I just, I think I work well in that role and I've built up that experience over time working in these kind of four different settings with four very different people, but all, you know, following the same kind of founder mentalities. Yeah, a lot of the founders have that. We, we've done different personality profiles on our members, the COO Alliance members, and also their CEOs. And in fact, even this September, we have an event where we're inviting the CEO to come with the COO. And we've got some behavioral scientist people coming in. We've got some marriage counselors coming in. People to take, not because people have problems, but to take the relationship to the next level. So tell us what you've learned about the founders. You know, even the four distinct types, what commonalities have you seen with them and what have you learned in terms of how to help them execute their vision, how to stay on the same page with them? You know, stuff that, like, if you were to give yourself advice 10 years ago, what would you do in terms of, of how to work with those kinds of people? What have you learned? Because it's, it's probably stuff you take for granted. I'd like you to spend some time there with us. Yeah, it's a great question that I think we I personally would love to kind of sit with more and kind of reflect on. I would say one thing that I've learned is that I think early on I would get frustrated and um, by just the amount of ideas and the, that, the high expectations to move things forward at what felt like an unreasonable pace. And what I've learned is that all of them and Todd, especially they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant and they're driving change forward. And what they need help with is just clearing the path to express their art and their craft. And so, you know, helping organize, ex receive their ideas, put them down into a system that can, you know, help 
get them out of their mind and be somewhere where we can follow up on them later. But I think first and foremost, kind of going back to how we started this is to be grateful for who they are, because none of this would be possible without them. Every for sure. company, yeah, every company that I've been in has represented the culture of that company has been a direct reflection of the founder. And um, there's a degree of intensity that comes from someone in that role, but it's necessary in order to create something like this. You have to. And you, all these ideas are amazing. And yeah, we're not going to do all of them, but listen to them all and just be there, be present with them. And then, you know, put them into a system that we can move them forward and track them. So what system do you use? Well, it's an ever evolving one. And I would <laughs> actually love kind of your thoughts on how you've evolved your systems over time, especially because you have this unique experience of switching between the two worlds as COO and CEO. Yeah, Ours, right. yeah go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, we've evolved it quite a bit. We now do what we call weekly campfires where we um, essentially, you know, a weekly admin meeting, Todd and I sit down and we do it with each department also. Um, and we track in Google Docs and in these kind of campfire meeting notes, the projects that we're moving along. And then we use Trello and um, some spreadsheets to, to track progress of those projects. Awesome. Well, it's definitely an evolving process. So, so you actually, it's interesting that we're going to talk through this and, and, but you've answered one of my questions around, around the meeting rhythms that you have with Todd. And I want to spend a little bit more time on that too. But so we did a call yesterday with a group of the CEOs that I coach. There were about six of us on a call and we were talking about project planning and we all were on zoom together. And this was one of the questions that they had. And what we kind of netted it out was that at the end of the day, a tool like Trello and like Asana or like Basecamp or you know, Jira, which tend to be all like good project management tools. The two that we really netted out as being the best would be Trello and Asana. But those are just like a shovel. And a shovel doesn't dig a hole, right? A shovel is a tool that if you pick it up and use it, it will work for you. So I think a lot of companies go sideways very quickly when they say, okay, we need project management, let's use Trello. Or yep, let's use Asana. Without having a good methodology for first understanding what projects to even green light or yellow light or red light. So what we start with is the vivid vision where the CEO has to clarify the vision for the company three years in the future. So the CEO can start putting the plans and the projects in place to make that vision come true. And then the CEO's ideas, the random ideas, all great that come up over time, get placed into a system, whether it's Trello or Asana, but they don't get started. They just kind of in a holding pattern, almost like every project was a one pager and you get a, a stack of these one page project ideas together. And we use a decision filter to clarify the projects. Yeah. And then every quarter you vote on which projects to put into the stream, right? Which projects to start on, which projects essentially to green light, which projects to yellow light, meaning they're good. We're going to do them, but not yet. And which projects to red light, meaning we're going to kill them. Hey, it was a good idea a while ago, but no longer is. So that process of every quarter deciding which projects to get started on and then using a system like Asana and Trello. And then we also said that it's really important to actually get your employees trained in it. I think we often assume that people understand how to do it or we just get using it and we stumble our way through. Um, and really getting just a one-hour training session every month or every quarter over video for all your employees to get more skills, even from random people training on how to use Trello or Asana, that can really be, you know, um, impactful as well. So I think you're on the right track with it. I would just 
maybe get into a little bit more of the training if you don't do that already and use the decision filter as a way to decide which projects get started. But I think the rest of your methodology is quite fine. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea to train employees in tools and train everyone on the team because uh, I've seen that over and over where we try to adopt some new technology and it's only partially adopted. And it's such a simple thing to set aside an hour once a month or once a quarter just to do a training session. So I, I love that idea. And that's something that we're definitely going to start implementing more here. Yeah, our team started using Asana recently. And we went out on, um, on Upwork and found somebody for $200 to run a one hour or two hour. I think it was a two hour training session for us on Asana. And just over Zoom, they trained us and used screen share and just gave us a couple good crash courses in it. We're going to do it again next quarter. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great call. Yeah, we have, um, we have a pretty young team. And so one thing that we have done is done some training in Google Sheets and Excel. For, Smart. Smart. Yeah, because it's such a basic tool that is used across the board. Um, but it's something that we're going to start doing, I think, for additional tools as well. Yeah, it just makes sense, right? So, um, okay, walk me through a little bit about Todd's vision. So, you know, Todd is the CEO and founder of Dry Farm Wines. You joined very quickly after he'd started. How did you or how did he get you on the same page with his vision of what the organization was looking like or what parts of a vision did he communicate to you and what parts have you contributed to? Uh, well, Todd is, he has a, an amazing mind and a, a very clear vision of where this is going. And I think one thing, and we'll probably get into these practices, but one thing that helps pass this vision, both to me and to our entire company, is the, um, the morning sessions that we do. Because often we'll add visualization into it. So we'll, we'll do a short you know, team meditation and then he'll talk through some of the vision for where we're headed and, and many of the things that we're grateful for and that the things that will be coming into our future that we'll be grateful for. And so that's helped a lot. And he's just from the beginning kind of seen the progress of this and is always kind of thinking about where this is eventually going to be going. And he has, a, he tries to balance it between seeing the long-term future, the outcome that we want, but recognizing that how we're going to get there isn't very clear. So he's always known that, you know, there's going to be, there's only so much of this wine that's available in the world because it's being made. It's a natural product. You can't mass produce it. There's, uh, you know, not that many growers in the world who actually follow all these practices. Huh. At some point, this will hit a cap. And so then kind of the vision for expanding beyond that, adding new elements to our membership, and just kind of building out additional revenue streams. He's, he's passed that vision through all of us. Do you think it will hit a cap or will, will kind of awareness start to expand the market as people become more and more aware of it? They'll start to require more, demand more, or, you know, growers will convert. Yeah, well, both uh, is, is likely the answer. We've already created uh, an increased demand for this. We, we are the, the largest buyer and seller of natural wines in the world. And um, we're now working, we, we're in Europe a couple of weeks every month meeting growers, building deeper relationships, working with them to produce more wine of this style. And so we're increasing the amount of demand, which you know, is going to increase the supply a little bit. The challenge is that it, it's a very long process to take a vineyard that is not being farmed organically 
and convert it to a vineyard that will be farmed organically. Oh, got it. Um, it's a multi-year process. Um, and by doing that, it's the farmer has to, has to make a, a decision that they're okay accepting less profit, less yield, um, you know, less control over the final product. So it's, um, it's likely to increase demand some, especially in the U.S., but it, there will be a cap still at some point. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Tell me, um, you know, we'd, we'd really be remiss to not dive into not, not what you do as a business, but how you do it. I and mean, you guys have really done, in fact, I, I think you're one of the only companies that I've really encountered um, who really does dive in so deep related to the, the, the areas of gratitude and meditation and how you tie that in and, and leverage that for business. Can you walk us through Give us the specifics of, of how you guys have incorporated this into your culture and why it's so important to you. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I have to just say at the beginning too, grateful to Todd for this because companies take on the personality of their founder. And um, we have a very unique culture, a very, very unique culture, unlike any that I've ever seen or experienced. And um, it's all a result of who he is and who he's become over the last three years. One of the kind of values that he decided early on in this company is that he only wanted to work with people that he truly loved and that he wanted to spend his time with. Because this whole idea that you go to work and then you come home and when you're home, you're living life. And when you're at work, you kind of step away from that is a broken model. And so, you know, we, we try to think about it differently. Like we, I legitimately feel like everyone in the company is my family. And I love, I love everybody here. I love spending time with everybody. And so we start every day. We try to protect our mornings. We have our cultural manifesto that we call peace and profit. And it all begins with peace. So we protect our mornings. We meet at 10 o'clock and we go through our, our morning session, which takes about an hour. And it involves um, a quiet, silent meditation. Uh, and then a round of what we call gratitude therapy which is just an opportunity for every person right after meditating, eyes still closed to go around the room and to say what they're grateful for. Um, and then we may add on, you know, visualizations or anything else journaling. Um, we just started a little book club also, but it's an incredibly powerful practice that connects you with everyone else in the, in the organization at a level that uh, is very uncommon, even to do among a true family to sit there and, and tell other people um, in a very vulnerable setting, but a very safe setting, why you're grateful and uh, what you're grateful for. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. No, no, keep going. Right. And, and from there, then to start our day at 11, uh, to think about work as a craft, as um, you know, what, not what we're working, not that we're working, but that we're contributing, that we are providing value and sharing things with our members in the world. And then ending the day often with a wine tasting because we have to taste wines almost every night in order to source enough of this wine. Mm. Um, so we often cook together, have dinner together and taste wines together. Um, and then of course, after you've drank a little bit of wine, you're not going to go back. So you kind of, you have a quiet, peaceful evening. And so that culture, and in addition to that, the number of events that we go to and we all travel to together, hundred events a year, getting the opportunity to go out, experience all these different health conferences, travel together, triage uh, in a very intense setting, um, but go out to, din to amazing dinners together. All that 
builds into this just wonderful family culture. Okay. So I want to go back to this one hour meeting again in the morning. So this one, how, how much time of the one hour is meditation? The, the first 12 minutes typically. Okay. So first 12 minutes is meditation. And then how much time then goes into the gratitude? <laughs> it really depends. We're now at 20 people. And so often we'll take about 40 minutes. Oh, four zero? Yeah, it's about 40 minutes. And, you know, some people only have a few things that they say. And, you know, it's just obviously very short but heartfelt. And other people will go on and just kind of say the things that they need to say. It's pretty surprising uh, and amazing when you are given a safe space what you're willing to share. And, and sometimes what you don't even realize that you need to share. So what's happening in this? Is it is it because you're giving people this safe space to meditate and to to be grateful? Are they then caring more about the company than they would otherwise? Because it seems like, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening is probably thinking the same thing as I am. It's like, how do you spend one of your eight hours a day, like 12% of your company's time is not quote unquote productive, you know, getting stuff done. Do you end up getting more done because you're giving them this zone? How yeah, and it's a totally fair question. And I mean, or does it I even was matter? very skeptical of these practices early on too. And it sounds woo-woo for sure. You know, we meditate together, we hold hands, we uh, share gratitude. It's a very new age type of process. And in addition to that, if you just think about it from the numbers perspective, you know, an hour a day for however many people, we're now at 20, but you know, it changes over time. Every day of the week, the cumulative number of hours that that builds up to over the year. And then if you just estimate, and you can do some very quick math to estimate the value of each person for an hour, just say what their work value would be and multiply that by every workday for an entire year. The investment is well over $100,000 a year spent doing meditation and gratitude. So it's a very, you know, when you think about it in that regard, it seems like a huge investment in something that is somewhat woo-woo. But I will say, you know, the research is extremely strong that there's benefits to both meditation and gratitude practices. And it's, it's extremely well researched there. I mean, everyone becomes happier, more connected, more vulnerable, more positive, more optimistic. There's associations with increased productivity, resilience. Um, there's even studies that show that, you know, people in the sales department, after they start doing gratitude uh, on a regular basis, sales go up. Um, there's less stress, less burnout, less turnover. So those are all kind of intangible benefits. And when you do that every day and you do that for very consistently for two years, you know, you see drastic change in individuals. So there's the individual growth. Well, yeah. uh, there's something that I've noticed as well. And this was from talking with Todd recently. I don't think your I think your company's gotten to the level that you don't even care for an ROI from it. You're you're going to do it anyway. Like it's like you just know so deeply the impact and and enjoy it so much with the uh, this section of meditation and gratitude that even if there wasn't any like you're not doing it because of an impact. You're doing it because you like doing it and you want to spread it that way. Absolutely. That and I think I mean, that's the, that's almost the real power of it. It's because I think if a company's tried to do this to get an ROI, that's when it wouldn't feel the same. Absolutely. It's a great point. I will say there has been in looking back, there's a very measurable ROI that has come from it, but that isn't the point. 
the point is that, you know, business, the time that we spend here is about developing ourselves and, and it's about living a peaceful and, you know, a life that we all want to live. It's designing a life that we would all be really proud of living. And to us, a big piece of that is meditation and a mindset of gratitude. And that happens to change who we are in a very meaningful way. And that therefore changes the interactions that we have with each other, with our members, with our partners that impact the business in ways that can't really be defined. Well, and, and, you know, going, and ultimately going from zero to 25, yeah. going from zero to 25 million in revenue in a few years, you're, you know, you're getting the success. It's showing for sure. <laughs> and I mean, it's just an amazing team and everyone seriously loves being here. I'm sure every company says that. And I feel that very, very intensely. So um, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about um, meetings and meeting rhythms and meeting structures since I put my book meeting suck out about a year ago. Can you um, just tell me what practices you guys use in your team meetings and your, you know, one-on-one meetings, walk us through some of your meeting rhythms that you use. I've recently read your book and have been needing to, and have started to kind of evolve how we're doing meetings because they have been often um, a little ad hoc and not necessarily following the recommendations that you have. Um, but yeah, what, what we've started to do is this cadence of weekly campfire meetings. And we do it with each area of the business. And they're, they last an hour. We go through the gratitude, the wins at the beginning, and then um, kind of dive into the different projects that we have. And so what I've started to do is make sure that we have agendas always before starting, which is going to guide us through and, and make sure we end on time. But it's absolutely a process. We're you know, I think we still have a lot to learn <laughs> in terms of having efficient and productive, meaningful meetings. So yeah, I appreciate your book because there's some, some amazing advice in there that we're going to distribute to everyone on the team. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Meetings are something you just have to keep working towards and working on and they will refine. I tried to give a lot of the best practices in meeting suck on first off, a third of the book is written on how to run meetings and then I also wrote it so that every employee at every company would read the book because a third of the book is written on how to show up and participate and attend meetings. And I think it's powerful when you give the tools to the employees because they often don't even get trained, let alone how to run them. But, you know, just, just what, what's their role in meetings. And then the third part is what real meetings we need to scale the company, you know, what specific meeting rhythms we need. Tell me maybe a little bit about your interviewing process. Are you guys all in one office? It sounds like you're all in the one office in Napa. Yeah. So we're all in Napa and anyone that joins needs to relocate. Um, almost everyone here has relocated and come out here. And again, it's kind of part of that whole lifestyle experiment that we're doing is being together, having the opportunity to meditate and practice gratitude together. Um, you can certainly do all of that being remote, but it's not, it's just not the same. Uh, I've worked in remote companies before this and I, I love it. There's a lot of value and a lot of benefits. Um, but for what we're trying to do here, it's just so much more powerful to be together in person. Well, I think it also, it also just lends itself to the fact that if you're a wine company, you have to be in the wine country. You, you can't just be living in Chicago and San Francisco or St. Louis and you know, wherever. Uh, and you're close, yeah. enough, you're close enough to the Bay Area that it's just not that big a deal. If somebody's going to be living in Napa, they can still hang out with friends if they want to. Oh, for sure. And Napa's, you know, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Yeah, it doesn't Todd, always, Todd loves to say if there's anywhere, you know, this is living in a place where other people go to vacation. Right. If there was anywhere more beautiful than Napa, we would all be living there. Well, that's Vancouver maybe, but it did. 
rains too much up here. So, I still need um, to get up there and see what it's like. I've never it, been to Vancouver. It's amazing. It's a direct flight from San Francisco, and it's a short one. So we should um, we'll get up when we get off the phone. We'll get you up here because there's some good food restaurants up here too. So tell me about your interviewing process. How do you interview and select people? Uh, yeah, we have a. It's a very long process. Um, it goes back to this idea that you know we only we want to work with people that we would truly want to spend time with that we would love um, because it's just an important part of living a really good life in addition to having, you know, a successful business that makes a difference in the world. So we have on our jobs page, a listing of our jobs. And in that job description, uh, each one is like probably 12 pages long. Wow. And it just goes into, it becomes very clear who we are you get a very good sense of who we are from each job application. And that filters out a lot of people because when they start reading about, uh, you know, the abundance and the universe and gratitude and meditation, a lot of people just drop out. Uh, but the people who are passionate about that, who understand, they read about biohacking, they get excited and they love that. You know, those are the ones that move forward. And then we have a questionnaire that's part of that. Uh, that's about 15 questions long. That is also you know, pretty challenging to get through. And it's very unique. It asks people, you know, some things related to their skill, but mostly just questions to get to know who they are and to get to a more, a more vulnerable side of them. So after that, you know, we read through all of those, schedule short meeting greet calls just to get to know and ask a couple of questions to kick things off. Um, schedule a larger team call that lasts about 30 minutes with um, five of us from the team. And then assign two small projects and do a project review call to see how people present and how people approach and think about their project, how they think about problems. Hmm. And then if they, you know, if we're still thinking that we're a really good fit for each other, uh, we actually fly them out to Napa to spend three days here. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. All on us. And we, we do a two hour it's an interview kind of, but it, I mean, the questions jump, it's really just a conversation. We just, we jump all over the place and it's mostly just getting to know who they are, you know, from weird questions like what's your favorite raw vegetable to, um, you know, more personal questions about who they are, who, you know, where they grew up, what they were like as kids. And then I think the, you know, one of the most unique parts of what we do also then they come work at the office for a bit, but afterwards they go shopping with Todd to start prepping for a team dinner. And Todd learns a lot by shopping with people and then getting them. In, no, this is one of the most interesting pieces. And so seeing how proactive people are in the, in the grocery store and how active they are in the kitchen, you know, looking for small things to do, uh, asking where they can help cleaning dishes when they're dirty, just getting a sense for, who they are and, and what the type of person, like what type of person they are, how, the questions that they ask. You can learn a lot from, from cooking with people. And that's one aspect of the culture. Everyone, almost everyone in the company is an amazing chef. And so there's a lot of great dinners, but people also, there's this intensity and this collaboration, this group flow that happens in the kitchen. And it's a really good learning opportunity when you're there together in that time. That's really cool. It's funny, interesting. Whenever I do um, company retreats, I lead a lot of strategic planning meetings for companies or whenever I've done, you know, our own planning meetings in the past, I get the group, the leadership team to stay in, you know, like a, 
a, a winter cabin, like a chalet at a ski resort or, you know, a summer, big summer home off of an Airbnb, a place, you know, it's typically a place where you can sleep, you know, eight to 10 people. And we don't go out to restaurants. We actually send the, we break the group into two groups and I give both groups money to go grocery shopping and they have to go grocery shopping and each group has to prepare a breakfast. Each group prepares a lunch and each group prepares a dinner. And we split the days, so, you know, group day one, you know, you alternate. So one does breakfast, lunch, dinner, and the next day breakfast, lunch, dinner. So you're not doing three meals a day, but it's fun where half the company gets to hang out and sit and joke around and have a drink and the other group sitting prepping lunch or vice versa. And that's all the team building you really need is when you're going grocery shopping together. And it's amazing to see the meals that people pull together and the creativity and the fun they have just over yeah. cooking food. And it's, I, it's funny, I think just doing those basic things of living together and cooking together and eating together and hanging out together is all the team building a company needs. We don't need these hokey team building exercises that the government seems to try to do with their retreats. <laughs> so true. So yeah. true. And there, there's a lot that you pick up uh, cooking because I, I wasn't a very good chef or a very good cook uh, before I came out here. But being in a kitchen together and just seeing how people um, identify what needs to be done, how situations are triaged when not everything is in the right proportion or things are missing. Yeah. Um, who's, who's cleaning up as they go? Yeah. You learn, you do learn a lot. And I'm sure with the way that you're setting it up and doing it in that group, I'm sure you get to identify kind of different traits of different people, depending on what role they take in the kitchen. Yeah, it's interesting. I think for one of the next COO Alliance events, I'm going to line up a, a cooking class where we all go and cook and eat together. Cause I, I did a really fun mastermind dinner, gosh, around three years ago now. And it was 12 very high level people that were invited to a dinner. None of us were given anyone else's name. None of us knew the industries anyone else worked in. It was called the influencers dinner. And um, we got there and we were all sitting having drinks and, you know, every five or 10 minutes, the host would tap one of us on the shoulders and say, rotate. And he was basically breaking up a discussion when he saw the discussion getting too in-depth so that you had an in-depth discussion with everyone in the room. And then we all started making dinner together and there were food stations, two per station. And after about 15 minutes, he rotated stations. So, you know, some people stayed and some moved to the next station. And we all sat and ate dinner together. And after dinner, each person had to guess what the other person did for, for work because you weren't allowed to talk about what you did. It was really cool. And there were like Academy Award winners. There was a guy who had just, just spoken on the main stage at TED. And it's funny because I'd been at the main stage at TED and I didn't recognize him. But when he told us what he did, I'm like, oh, I know exactly who you are. You're the genome guy. Um, it was really, there was a, there was a woman from uh, young and the restless, like a very famous actress who was in the room. And it was really funny. It was just a really fun event, but all we were doing was making dinner together and drinking some wine and drinking some wine. Right. We I love that. I think that's, that's so cool. That's such a great way to get to know people. Yeah. Uh, and I wondered, were you able to guess or have a better sense for who people were after you spent some time cooking with them? There was a, um, there was a woman who worked in the book industry and I actually guessed her as a writer and she was a former journalist. And that was a, she was like a senior editor, like, you know, the, for the New York times, like kind of like the, she was like a very, very senior role. The girl who was the actress, I actually was pretty sure she was an actress because she, we were in LA but I didn't want to cheapen my guess. So I guessed that she was an internet, um, you know, that she ran an e-commerce business because she was quite smart, but turns out, no, she was just on Young and the Restless. And anyway, uh, so, but what the That's funny great. one was there was a couple, there was a husband and wife 
who were both participating as guests and they didn't let anyone know that they were married. And what happened was one of them, one of the guests had dropped out like a couple hours before the dinner. So they, the woman's like, yeah, I'll just bring my husband and he can be somebody too. And so he was just like a guy. <laughs> He's like, I've got a job. I work for this company. I'm a nobody. Like it was just awesome. And, and meanwhile, his wife was like, you know, published Vogue magazine or something. Um, that was really cool. I'm going yeah, to introduce chef? you. I'm sorry. Are you a good chef? Do you cook a lot? I do cook a lot. I used to cook a lot more. I love to cook and I love, I love like yesterday, I really enjoyed going off and, and getting all the ingredients and I made beef short ribs for like eight people and, and um, had this amazing, you know, and then anyway, yeah, I love being in the kitchen because it decompresses me. It slows life down for me and it allows me to just, you know, put music on and enjoy a glass of wine and prep. And I, I always like that I'm doing it for other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I do enjoy cooking. If you were to cook something to impress someone, you were taking someone out and you wanted to impress them with a good meal, what would you cook? Well, it depends if they're, if they are, um, depends on how conscious they are on their weight, because if they're like super like weight conscious, then I would, I would kind of lean in one direction, but I do, um, a beef medallions and a morel cream sauce that is ridiculous. And then I also do a, a lobster dish that is, um, yeah, in this just tarragon cream and saffron sauce that's a very French. And, and you start by having a lot. You, you uh, put the lobsters to sleep standing on their head. So it's kind of cool because the lobsters are all standing in the, these like yoga positions on the counter and it just looks kind of cool. Yeah, so I'd probably do those. How about you? That sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, <laughs> well, I've recently gone into doing this French style omelet that is Ooh. incredibly simple. But when you do it right, it is the best omelet you've ever had. It's right. life changing. It's amazing. I want it's you. You got to send me your recipe for the omelet. I will send you a recipe for the best appetizer that I've ever served, and it's it's medulled dates that are stuffed with chorizo sausage, and they're wrapped in a double smoked bacon, and then you bake them in the oven, and then drizzle them with balsamic, and serve them with an aged cheddar, and it blows people's minds. They're amazing. Wow. Jeez, that sounds awesome. Yeah, because it's got the yeah. sweetness of the dates and the saltiness of the bacon and then the, the spicy of the chorizo, and it's pretty awesome. All right, one last, uh, one last question before we wrap up. If you were to give some advice to anyone moving into a second-in-command role or, um, or even one of the other COO Alliance members, you know, advice of, of some big leadership skill that maybe you've pulled over the years, what would that be? How could you pass on some, some good insights for us? All right, well, I'll give two because one's, one would be a skill, but the other would just be a practice. Meditate with your CEO, which sounds like an intense thing to do, but if you can get your CEO to meditate, I have seen such a dramatic change in Todd, even over the two years, and I can only imagine kind of who he was before, but the practice of every day sitting down, and especially when he and I would do it together, uh, when I first came out here was not only incredibly bonding for the two of us, but I mean, and it's made me a much better person, a much better listener, much more present in everything I do, but it also has done that with him. And it's, it's been absolutely game changing. And it's something that I wish I had, I could have gotten other people that um, I've worked with in the past to do also. And it's something I wish I had done much longer you know, when I started a long time ago, um, because I've, I've felt such a dramatic difference. I love it. And then the other thing is just 
to, you know, be patient, to be an active listener and to know that uh, if you give things time, they, they tend to develop uh, exactly as they need to. Yeah, it's funny, the, the patience component. I was just on a, a briefing call for our, our um, camp at Burning Man that we're going to again this fall and someone was all worried and, and I'm just like, relax, like the playa provides, like everything that you need will show up, it'll be there, you'll be taken care of, everything will be good. And I think it's kind of like, like work as well. I think we need to know the vision of where we're going and drive in that direction, but trust that what we need along the way will be provided and, and just... Um, you know, hold hands when we cross the street and milk and cookies are good for you. But I love the meditation part too. I'm going yeah. to, as soon as we get off the call, I'm going to go up to my rooftop deck and, and meditate. Just kind of, I got a nice view of the ocean and the mountains. I'm going to go and chill and relax and go into a zone. And I want to thank you, Mark, for the time that you shared with us today and everyone listening to the Second in Command podcast. Yeah, Cameron, thank you. I mean it so much. I'm so grateful for your work, grateful for meeting suck that uh, I'm starting to adopt more and more with our team grateful for the community that I met at the COO Alliance. Um, and I mean, just grateful for the time that you're taking to share all this knowledge. Oh, uh, it's helped me a lot and I know it's helping a lot of people. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And I'll make an introduction for you to uh, Jonathan Levy, who runs the influencers dinners too. You guys should get some of your dry farm wines out to some of his dinners. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to. That'd be cool. All right, man. Thanks so much again and say hi to Todd for me. Will do. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.